And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to the show. Of course, it's the second best day of the week. It's Thursday and uh, lots of stuff to get into today. Um, interestingly enough, yesterday and a couple of, uh, over the last really last couple of days, we've gotten some very interesting economic data out. Retail sales, of course, as we talked about yesterday, really kind of just blew the doors off uh, of expectations, rising very sharply. Uh, that has now led the Atlanta Fed, G, uh, Atlanta Fed, so that's the Atlanta Federal Reserve District, right? And they post a real-time economic tracker. So they look at incoming economic data, then they use that real-time kind of economic data to estimate what GDP growth is going to be for the current quarter. That is now 5.8%. That is almost 6% annualized growth for quarter three. Now that's a very sharp jump from the 2.3% that we saw in the previous quarter. So again, just economic data continues to come in better than expected. And this is something we've talked about here over the last couple of months is that economic data had been so kind of run down over the last year that you're going to get a bounce, right? You're going to get this kind of uh, of, of increase from cyclical lows. And we wrote an article about market cycles and cycle lows and economic data. And economic data had gotten so depressed that it's not surprising now you're kind of getting this reflex uh, of action within these these economic data points and again that's certainly you know kind of uh, a point here because that also suggests that inflation may start to tick back up this of course had the fed uh, the, the recent fomc minutes uh, we'll talk about with michael Leibowitz this morning talking about you know inflation still remains a risk here and that the fed may be kind of in no rush to, to lower interest rates at this point. In fact, they need to may, may need to hike a little bit more. And that's all kind of expected, right? Uh, especially when you have $1.7 trillion worth of this Inflation Reduction Act that was put into the economy, $500 billion of that going into investments. We're seeing a lot of, uh, you know, we're seeing manufacturing plants being built, stuff like that, uh, capital expenditures being put into work. Uh, of course, that's a lot of that's coming from support from this Inflation Reduction Act feeding back into the economy. So you're starting to see this kind of actual impact now, right? You're starting to see this uptick in economic activity from all this money being put in. And of course, that's going to lead to higher inflation rates. So again, you know, it was always ironic they named it the Inflation Reduction Act because when you inject capital into an economy, it's going to create inflation, not reduce it. So if you want to reduce it, you have to extract liquidity. And that's what the Fed's been trying to do all of last year, they've been trying to slow down monetary liquidity in the economy. That's why they're contracting their balance sheet. They're hiking interest rates. They're trying to tighten lending standards. The market has ignored all of that up to this point. But again, we may start to see the impact finally of some of this work that they've been doing begin to actually show up later on. Now, it's going to be a few quarters out still. But again, we've got to get through all this liquidity that was put into the economy. We're now starting to see the effects of that liquidity hit economic activity. But importantly, there's nothing after this. So again, we've not passed any new spending bills. We haven't passed any new you know, Inflation Reduction Acts. We haven't done anything like that. So once this money kind of works its way through the system, then the impact of higher interest rates and tighter lending standards should start to show itself 
within the economy. But that's, again, as we talked about before, a lot of people were expecting a recession last year. But because of all that liquidity, we talked about, well, maybe, you know, in 2022, we said we could probably have a recession in 2023, late 23. But that doesn't really seem to be the case now because of all this liquidity still in the system. It's taking longer for that liquidity to get out of the system than we previously thought. So now we're kind of looking at potentially by the time we get through that cycle, um, it's going to be probably mid-24 to late 24, maybe even 25 before we get you know, another $1.7 trillion of liquidity out of the system. It's just going to take time to get that liquidity through the system. But again, um, unless there's some other bills that are going to be passed here in the next you know, few months, uh, next couple of quarters, that are going to inject more money into the system, this kind of liquidity push is going to, to subside and we'll begin to see the impact of higher rates and tighter lending standards finally take their toll on, on, on the economy. But it's going to take some time to get there. Again, it's just a function of this. So uh, in the meantime, because of all this liquidity hitting the system, this uh, a potential uptick in inflation certainly isn't surprising. And if that occurs, that's going to push the Fed to hike rates even more. But we're going to talk more about that today with Michael Leibowitz. Let's talk about what you need to know before the bell this morning. Uh, importantly, yesterday, the markets, we talked about yesterday that the S&P 500 had, had broken that 50-day moving average just a little bit. And we said by Friday, it has to get back above that 50-day moving average to, to negate that break of the 50. Because it's often, you know, often with markets on a technical basis, they'll kind of flirt with a moving average. And people make a knee-jerk reaction and say, oh, it closed below today, so I'm going to sell everything. And then the market reverses and goes right back up again. Um, and that happens sometimes. So what you're looking for is a clear break of that 50-day moving average. That probably happened yesterday. Uh, yesterday's close to the downside gave us a pretty good break of that 50-day moving average. So still, if the market can somehow reverse today and tomorrow, rally, get back above that 50-day moving average, that'll negate this break. But most likely now, we are now set up in a position, market is oversold here on a short-term basis. So a bit of a rally back to the 50-day moving average that fails is probably going to set us up for that retest of the 100-day moving average, which is a little bit lower here. So again, nothing really to be concerned about at, at all. In fact, we've talked about this before, is that this is a fairly normal correction with any, uh, within any kind of given bull market rally, and particularly one that we've had. And if you just go back and kind of look ever since last October, we've had some fairly decent corrections along the way of this bullish trend. That hasn't really changed. So we had a very big move over the first five months of this year. And again, that big move from you know, February, March, April, May, June, July, that rally, that five-month rally needed to take a break here. So that's what's happening. We're going to get kind of an opportunity where moving averages are catching up to the market. Prices are coming down towards the moving averages. So those are converged at some point. We find some support. Buyers come back into the markets. Again, you know, a lot of the underlying data still seems to be okay. Earnings have been have been okay this year. They've, you know, uh, have met or beaten estimates for the most part. We're now through that part of the earnings cycle. Today, Walmart uh, reported their earnings, and so we're kind of get that, they're kind of one of the last retailers to actually kind of report their earnings. We've still got Nvidia on the 23rd. That's the other big kind of um, you know 
mega cap stock in the index we're waiting on. But overall, earnings have been okay. That's going to give some support to the markets. One thing that's kind of weighing on markets right now, of course, is a little uptick in rates over the last couple of days because of concerns over the Fed needing to hike rates and inflation. Not surprising, kind of getting a knee-jerk reaction of, of interest rates ticking up. That, of course, weighing on on the market as well, particularly financials, utilities, those type of things. So we're seeing some pressure there. But again, nothing alarming about this correction. It was needed. We talked about it for almost a month in July that we needed a correction. Three to five to 10% could certainly be the case. We're getting that correction now. This will be an opportunity probably to put some money to work here. Now, certainly things could change. And if we begin to break this bullish trend that started back in October, We'll have a different conversation to talk about. But for right now, bullish trend remains intact. Everything is doing exactly what you would expect normally. This has been a very orderly correction from the peak of the market. So again, nothing at this point to really worry about. It was a needed correction, still in that process. Probably an opportunity to selectively and opportunistically buy some of those positions you've been wanting to add since earlier this year. Now you're getting an opportunity to do that. That's what you need to know before the bell this morning. All right, coming back after the break, we'll pick up with Michael Leibowitz to talk about the recent FOMC minutes that were out yesterday, what they said, what that means, and, uh, you know, the risk of inflation here um, and the risk of recession. Is it now back on the table? We'll talk about that with Michael Leibowitz. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. of really uh, two stories or two uh, retailers out yesterday and today. Um, Target out yesterday talking about lower profits and uh, lower traffic. Walmart today kind of knocking the cover off the ball. So again, just two very different retailers. But again, kind of talks about, you know, the position of of the consumer right now, right? And, um, you know, there's not a, a clear trend. We're seeing, you know, still consumers going out, they're shopping, they're buying stuff, they're taking trips, they're spending money on, you know, services, those type of things, experiences. So despite the fact that you've got higher rates, um, and again, you know, we've talked about this for a while, the Fed's been trying to hike rates to slow down economic growth doesn't seem to be working. As I said at the open, the Atlanta Fed now has the third quarter GDP pegged at nearly 6%, 5.8% annualized growth for the third quarter. That's pretty stout economic growth in the third quarter. And that's going to be basically about double what we saw both in the first quarter and the second quarter. Now, that rate will probably come down as, as we get further into the third quarter. Again, uh, you know, as you know, July, August, September, we've still got a month and a half to go in this quarter. So we could certainly see some weaker economic data show up here. But, you know, so far it's been a pretty decent quarter, um, economically speaking. Employment remains strong. Um, we've seen a lot of activity. Retail sales, again, as we talked about yesterday, exceptionally strong. So, again, despite higher rates, it certainly doesn't seem like at this point that the impact that the Federal Reserve has wanted on the economy has yet to take hold. And of course, the market's been rallying very strongly as well ever since October. That's, of course, uh, been lifting consumer confidence. 
So if we take a look at consumer sentiment gauges, investor sentiment gauges, those all rising fairly sharply here as consumers are like, hey, you know, it's it's not bad. You know, the markets are going up. I feel better about things because my 401k plan is, is higher in value. So, you know, not really much to worry about. All those recession concerns that we had last year, everybody was expecting recession. You know, um, everybody was calling for a deep recession, et cetera. Hasn't occurred yet. And so now a lot of those fears have now faded to kind of expecting, well, we're not going to have a recession now. So, you know, those that's kind of all behind us. And of course, when you have good economic data, that kind of pushes out further those concerns about having a recession. So again, you know, kind of you, you kind of look at things. It, it seems as if, you know, everything is just kind of honky dory. Um, you know, kind of that global sweet spot for the Federal Reserve at this point anyway is that you know, they've got rates up, they've hiked rates to five and a quarter, and everything's really kind of doing okay. There's nothing really falling out of bed. Um, you know, you had a, a bit of a little smidgen of a banking crisis back in March, but, you know, that, you know, they put a little program into place for them and they seem to be okay right now. So again, what's the big concern, right? You know, what's the, what's the risk here? Of course, uh, yesterday we got the FOMC minutes. And this is from the latest meeting. So this is from the meeting in July where they hiked rates to five and a quarter percent. You know, they're certainly echoing some concerns about potentially, you know, needing to hike rates more that maybe they're not done on the inflation front and that inflation is coming. And this has been, you know, kind of interesting because, again, this all kind of, we can kind of trace this all back to that one point seven trillion dollar inflation reduction act. It takes time for that money to get injected into the economy. And again, you know, like they're building a, uh, in North Carolina, they're building a $500 million uh, manufacturing plant. So it takes time for that money to get from the government to somebody to go do something with it, to, to build something with it. And you'll get the plans done and the architecture and the permitting and all that it takes time, right? And this is uh, goes back to President Obama back in 2008 when he was like, we have shovel-ready jobs. And then we found out they weren't so shovel-ready because it takes a lot of time to get money from the government into a project and get that project going. But now that project's going, which means we're hiring people, putting them to work. They're making revenue. They're going out and spending that money, et cetera. And so we're seeing the impact now of that spending now starting to show up in some of the economic data and not surprising, it's also creating some inflationary pressure. So this was what the Fed's talking about yesterday. Mike, uh, what was your initial uh, kind of takeaway from the Federal Reserve yesterday in their FOMC minutes? I felt like they were kind of sitting on both sides of the fence. Um, so what they do in the minutes is they really detail the conversations that they had and there's, uh, you know, tw I think 12 voting members and other members of the Fed that opine. And you kind of had a lot of mixed views. Some some think they should keep they should raise more. Others are very scared or very concerned that they've raised too much already and that the lag effects are will catch up. Uh, in general, they don't see a recession in 2023, you know, given that it's late August already. That's not surprising, especially given the uh, economic data we had. Uh, there is broad concerns about the banks and bank credit. Uh, you know, bank credit is tightening, uh, but also the banks themselves. Um, if you remember what really happened back in March was not a traditional bankruptcy but 
money was being withdrawn. So in some way, that is a traditional bankruptcy, but it's not because of the credit quality on their books. It's because the value of their loans had decreased so much purely because of interest rates rising. So interest rates are above those levels of March right now. So whatever problems were on the books that haven't been addressed are still on the books and possibly worse. Now, the Fed has a, 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 a program out there to help the banks, but that doesn't help with all the non-Treasury uh, type of loans. So those banks are there. And as long as money doesn't get removed from banks, those losses don't have to be revealed. They're, they're, they're basically hidden. They're not marked to market or put onto their balance sheet. Um, but it is a problem out there. And if you remember, the British uh, pension funds had a big problem with higher rates, too. So, uh, you know, I think what ultimately derails things is not necessarily the economy. The economy is doing pretty well. Like you said, uh, Atlanta Fed is almost up to 6% GDP now. Yep. And a good chunk of the economic data is is good. Now, now it's kind of bifurcated. The manufacturing sector is doing poorly. The Empire State, which uh, measures New York, was minus 19. It showed that employment was weakening, that new orders were weakening. So you kind of have this, uh, yeah, haves and have nots, like Target and Walmart, like you mentioned earlier. Uh, Walmart increased their sales expectations. Target decreased their sales expectations. Um, so I, you know, I think the Fed is ready and willing to do another rate hike probably the last one of the cycle, but I think they'd be, they would do one if they felt they needed to. But I think at the end of the day, they want to keep rates where they are, keep a very hawkish tone and let these lag effects work. And, you know, I think the risk, the biggest risk, and it's not necessarily on the horizon and they never are, is a crisis. Typically when rates raise, when rates increase, over a period of time, you end in a crisis. And Lance, you publish this graph a lot. And it's basically a graph of 10-year yields dropping for the last 30 years. But every time within that trend lower, they peaked, you have a little mark with a, you know, with a <laughs> crisis. Right. And, um, you know, you can, that graph goes back into the 1800s. It, it can keep going. And it's because a lot of debt is used for speculative purposes. It's also borrowed short and lent long and exactly what's going on today can lead to banking crisis as we saw in march and as we could see again maybe not regional banks but maybe some other financial sector um or a country or something else so the economy looks okay uh lag effects are certainly still out there and i i still firmly believe that they will drag on the economy at some point again it may not be till next year till mid-year next year um but i think the what we have to kind of be careful of is the risk of a random called a black swan financial crisis because interest rates are breaking someone or something maybe it's a hedge fund i mean it, it really you know you're kind of drawing you're guessing at what it may be but right. Um, um, and I think the Fed recognizes those risks. Yeah, and I, and, I, and this is also kind of an interesting point is that, you know, we go back to 2022, everybody was expecting a recession, right? And so as we talked about before, is, and kind of this goes back to Bob Farrell's rule number nine, when all experts agree something else tends to happen. And, of course, what happened was is we didn't have a recession. And, and you know, then stocks rally. And, 
you know, this is kind of the interesting part. Stocks tend to rally when the Fed is hiking interest rates, and the Fed's still hiking interest rates. So now we're getting we we, we kind of got off the the normal track in 2022 of the Fed hiking rates, and so the Fed's hiking rates and the market's declining, and that's not usual. Um, but now stocks have been rallying, basically wiping out the vast majority of the decline last year. They've been rallying as the Fed's still hiking rates. Now we're back into that normal kind of pre-recessionary, um, you know, a cycle of markets and, and the Fed hiking rates and the markets kind of ignoring the Fed hiking rates and going, OK, this time is different. Don't worry about it. Very much like we saw in 98, 99, heading into the dot-com bust. Everybody was like, it's dot, dot com. The Fed hiking rates doesn't matter. The Fed rate hikes don't have anything to do with dot com. Now it's AI. So so now we're kind of back into that into the correct part of the cycle to where the markets rally, the Fed's hiking rates, then you get the 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 reveal of whatever it is that higher interest rates impact, and then you ultimately get a correction, recession, and and kind of a bear market. To, to realign itself and kind of get things back into order um, at some point in the future. Again, where that is, if it's 2024, 2025, we don't know. You know, sometimes these things can take quite some time before they reveal themselves. But what is important is, and we'll talk some more about this after the break, is that we're now getting some of these misalignments set up to where they normally begin to realign themselves at some point in the future. We'll talk about that when we come back from the break. I'm Real Science Roberts. Michael Lee, what's joining me this morning? Don't go away. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com so i thought i'd give you an update on rocky the raccoon who is still trapped we are now going day five of the raccoon trapped in my fireplace uh the pest control people came out yesterday and we had called them and said, hey, we have a raccoon trapped in our fireplace. We need you to come out. And so the guy shows up and he's like, okay, where do you want me to exterminate? And I'm like, no, we have a raccoon in, in our fireplace. He's like, well, nobody told me that. And <laughs> I was like, well, um, we have a raccoon in there. It's now day four at this point. Now we're day five. Do y'all remember that movie where all the miners were trapped in the, in, the, in the mine? They were in there for like 13 days. And yeah. They were worried about trying to get them out this is what's going on with rocky rocky can live three days without water we're now on day five he's still alive as of this morning he's still scratching around in there mm -hmm. um but the guy did have an endoscope so we got a picture of rocky yesterday trapped <laughs> inside of the uh, fireplace but <laughs> he was unwilling to stick his hand in there uh to get rocky out so <laughs> We're, we're gonna, they're coming back today. We're gonna. They, he's like, well, we have two ways to do this. We can use a snap trap or we can use a, a a live trap. And I'm like, well, I would prefer not to have you know dead animal parts with the snap trap all over my fireplace. So, yeah, let's do a live trap. And so they're coming back today with live trap. They're gonna try to live trap him inside of the fireplace and extract him. So, and where will the dogs be? 
they're they're outside when this oh, is going okay. on. I'll okay. put them in the house. Just checking. Um, <laughs> anyway, so what I I will report to you tomorrow whether or not Rocky has survived or not. He may he may not he may he may expire. We will. <laughs> See what happens, but it's very tense around the. It's very tense around the Roberts household right now. We've got you know rescue crews coming in. We've got it's just it's just you know, <laughs> it's, it's just an incredible. We've got neighbors coming over now to come see Rocky the raccoon and and. Uh, you should sell tickets. Yeah, we, it's 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 going to be quite the quite the event. So keep you updated tomorrow. We'll let you know if uh, he survived or not. So anyway, um, back to the story um, at hand. Oh, by the way, you know that that. Uh, that clip you've been playing about the Yeti cooler that I bought. Yes. I, so I, I was doing a little bit of research. Yeti guarantees that for life. So if you have a Yeti product, right, and it breaks, you send it back to Yeti, they replace it for free, right? They have a lifetime product. So I'm figuring if I bury myself in this in this cooler, <laughs> that they'll have to keep replacing that cooler as it deteriorates in the ground, yeah, right? Give so, your heirs the receipt. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> just keep, you know, just keep having them send you a new cooler, just move my body over, rebury me. We're, we're all good. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get my money back from Yeti after this. <laughs> I'm figuring it out. So anyway, um, all right. So talking about, uh, you know, so, so again, as we were le- just kind of talking about for the break, normally what happens is that markets tend to rally as the Fed is hiking interest rates. Again, the expectation is the Fed's hiking interest rates. Economic growth is good. They're hiking interest rates to slow economic growth, but that's not going to put us into a recession. They're just going to slow it down a little bit. They're going to keep inflation under control. And that's kind of the idea here. Inflation's been coming down. We went from 9% to 3%. The Fed's been hiking rates to do that. Economic growth is fine. And so the markets have been rallying. So now we're kind of in that normal kind of, and, and by the way, nobody expects a recession. So now we're into this kind of normalcy of the relationship between markets, expectations, and you know, Fed hiking interest rates and this kind of idea that there won't be a recession. That now kind of sets us up to actually, quote, have a recession at some point. Because, again, it's always about expectations. Everybody previously expected to have a recession. Inverted yield curves, leading economic indicators, et cetera, all said we're going to have a recession. Didn't have one, so now nobody expects one. But that's kind of the interesting conundrum here, right? We, and, and Mike has been talking about this ad nauseum, about this lag effect thing that, that, that there's not shown up yet. <laughs> so you it's, know, a, it's a myth. Yeah, it's a myth. Um, but uh, but again, you know, the lag effect is real. Um, but the the difference this time was there was so much liquidity put into the markets. We've talked about this before. And again, this one point seven trillion, this latest kind of round of this Inflation Reduction Act that everybody seemed to forget about was, you know, is pushing is is basically offsetting that lag effect near term. So, you know, you, you kind of think about, you know, you've got you're in your car, you've got your foot slammed down on the on the gas pedal, and then you hit an object that's going to take some time to slow the car down, right? And so it's kind of the same way as that the Fed's been hiking rates, but there's so much liquidity and momentum going on that it's just going to take time to to slow things down and and, and basically really for for consumers to really feel that impact of higher rates. And, the, and again, you know, the question becomes, as we get later in the year, if, 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 uh, if people have to start repaying student loans, you know, that's another kind of big drag on the bank account. You know, will that start to play catch up? Will we kind of hit a point to where the brakes are applied to the economy, that lag effect finally sets in, and then the Fed has their oh crap moment where they realize that they've over tightened 
And now they've got to quickly start reversing to try to offset a recessionary drag. Mike, your thoughts? Well, it's also interesting that <laughs> if you go back and look, consumers and corporations kind of prepared well for higher rates. I don't think neither did it knowingly. But if you look, everyone was refining their mortgage in 2020, 2021, when rates were down, mortgage rates were down near 3%. Uh, and there was some decent home, you know, housing turnover as well. Uh, corporations borrowed a lot of money when rates were really low. So combination, you know, the homeowners, you know, the housing is not moving. New, new homes are the only houses that are really moving. The number of existing homes for sale are really small because no one wants to, to get out of their three to 4% mortgages and pick up an 8% mortgage. Uh, corporations, very similar theme. They borrowed a lot. They borrowed more than they needed in 2020, 2021. So they don't have to borrow that much this year. That starts changing as we go forward. And housing starts changing too. People get antsy. You know, I've been wanting to sell the house. We've been waiting and waiting and waiting. We're retired. We want to move. So again, the lag effect, it's not just the fiscal stimulus and the money that was showered on us or the the, the, the loan forgiveness and uh, the delayed payments in, in certain types of bills, but it's also that we unknowingly prepared for higher rates. But again, it doesn't negate the fact that rates are higher and over time it starts having a bigger and bigger effect on corporations, on citizens and the, the US government, right? I mean, we've talked about this, but the interest expense on the debt has gone up more in the last few years than it did in the 50 years prior. And that number is going to keep shooting up as some of the cheap debt matures and they have to roll it over into new debt. And and just the new fiscal debt that they have to borrow is being financed now at 5%, you know, 4 to 5%. So the lag effect is just taking a lot longer this time. But again, you look at a graph and you, you know, go back to the 1800s and any time that rates increased by a significant amount, especially in such a short time period, did not end well. Um, what does not end well mean? It can vary. Sometimes it's just a large bank failure. Sometimes it's a Great Depression. Um, what this time holds in store, we don't know. It may just be like a regional bank crisis. It may not be a big deal like you know the regional bank crisis we had in March. But we have to just, you know, like I kind of said earlier, we have to pay attention to the signs. One of those signs are credit spreads. And credit spreads represent the difference between corporate yields and U.S. Treasury yields. And that that helps tell you how much stress the market or no stress, how much what the market's pricing in, what their expectations are. And right now, corporate yield spreads are very historically low. So that tells us that the market is not expecting a recession. The market is not expecting bankruptcies or even downgrades. So the market implies, doesn't mean it has, but it implies a very rosy outlook. Um, and that that can, you know, to and it should, you know, based on what we see right now, that's fine. But like you said, Lance, in October, no one had a rosy outlook. Mm -hmm. Today, everyone has a rosy outlook <laughs> and we're, you know, another five, six months closer to when the lag effect starts happening. Yeah. And again, you know, this and, and again, you know, one of the things that, you know, kind of everybody thought was is that, you know, you go from the first rate hike, normally it's nine to 12 months before that lag effect kicks in. And we're well right. past that 12 month mark. It's just taking longer. 
um, you know, for that lag effect to show up because of all that liquidity and excess monetary supply that was in the economy. We're still trying to work through that. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, that everybody's assuming now is that, you know, the stuff that we're seeing here that happened lately, you know, with the, with the economy is sustainable. Um, we know that it's not because there's not there, there is a contraction of liquidity going on, not an expansion of liquidity. And there's no new programs, at least at this moment right now. And of course, that can change tomorrow. The, you know, the government come together and say, hey, we're going to pass another three trillion in spending. There's um, an election but, next year. Yeah, so, there yeah. is an election next year. Absolutely right. So, you know, that could certainly happen just right now, assuming status quo. Um, and assuming that, you know, with the Republicans in charge of the House and, you know, kind of a very narrow uh, split in the Senate, that it's going to be very tough to pass any big spending bills, you know, within the course between now and the election. So there's not really doesn't seem to be any more big liquidity injections coming. And with the Fed still contracting, you know, hiking interest rates and reducing their balance sheet, that that lag effect of that liquidity extraction should start to kind of show up within some of this economic data maybe later this year. We'll, we'll find out. But, you know, it certainly so far, you know, everybody seems very resilient to it. But it just it seems to be a question of time before the money runs out, so to speak. Correct. <clears throat> Correct. And, you know, we talk about the lag effect. But remember, rates were extremely low. So it took a while for rates to get back up to where they were pre-COVID. So, you know, you can say the lag effect doesn't even start till we got to that kind of watermark. And if that's the case, maybe it's only been nine months. You know, the 10 year got down a half a percent. Right. Prior, you know, it was like one and a half, you know, one and a half, two percent prior to COVID. So maybe those first four or five rate hikes and big moves in the bond market were not really you know, we shouldn't even factor those in when we think about the lag effect. Right. Well, so maybe our start date is later than we think it is, too. That's true. And well, let's talk about uh, interest rates. You know, a big conversation the last few days is interest rates are now back to, you know, the highest level since 2008. Um, you know, this is certainly the beginning of the end. We'll talk about that when we come back from the break. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. So welcome back to the show this morning. So let's talk a little bit about interest rates. It's always interesting whenever interest rates tick up just a smidge, I start getting a flood of emails. It's like, oh my gosh, interest rates are moving higher again. You know, what's going on? Um, you know, it's, you know, interest rates are volatile. They go up and down, kind of like the stock market every day. So, you know, you can't really read too much into a short-term tick in rates. And again, they, you know, uh, interest rates on a very short-term basis, day-to-day, are reacting to headlines. And yesterday, the, the FOMC minute said, hey, we may have to hike more. Um, of course, that caused interest rates to come up a little bit yesterday. And of course, you know, this just makes a lot of headlines. And, you know, and, and but again, we have to go back to the fundamentals of interest rates and economics and those type of things long term, because there is an impact, as we've been talking about all morning, that, 
you know, there is a lag effect to this and, you know, this is going to result in, you know, an event of some sort, whether it's a recession, a financial crisis or, or whatever. Right. I mean, it doesn't have to be, you know, 2008. Right. Because, again, right now, everybody's like, well, this is the highest rate that we've had in interest rates since 2008. Well, no, it's we had this interest rate in November, but, you know, it's, it is the highest level since 2008. But we also had it in November. So we really haven't gone anywhere since November in rates, despite the fact the Fed's been hiking rates on the short end. So the long end of the rates have really been pretty much contained here, uh, despite the fact that the Fed has continued to hike rates and inflation is coming down. Um, yes, inflation ticked up a little bit last month. Mike and I have been talking about how inflation can tick up short term here just because of the year over year comparisons. It's the math. But even those even that inflation number is going to come down as the lag effect of housing prices continue to fa to filter into the inflation data. And with mortgage rates now over 7.5%, it's going to become much more problematic for you know people to buy a house, right? The affordability for buying homes is, is, is rising pretty sharply. So our you know, getting uh, unaffordability of buying homes is, is rising pretty sharply because of higher interest rates. So all this is going to impact, but again, it's, it's got a lag effect to it. But again, you know, the day-to-day -day movements, if you're day trading bonds, that's one thing, right? I mean, if you're, if you're trying to trade, you know, the bond market from one day to the next, then these little ticks matter. But if you're longer term looking for where the outcome of this will be, then that's a very different story. And again, as we talked about, like Mike just left, let off, uh, you know, uh, finished up with as we were finishing the last statement is that, Going into 2019 and 2020, interest rates were around 2%. During the, the pandemic shutdown, they fell to half a percent as we shut down the economy. So again, if you're, if you're expecting higher rates and, and these type of things to cause a recession or an economic slowdown at some point, again, not happening right now, but in the future, then interest rates have to fall. And again, so we'll, we'll talk a little bit about this uh, because, again, this is you know just a you kind of a consistent daily email exchange I have with the same people over and over again from one day to the next. And it's just, it's like the same thing I said yesterday <laughs> applies today, but again, it's just, you know, people just trying to figure all this stuff out, but Mike, your thoughts on this and kind of what's going on with rates at the highest level since 2008. Highest levels. So let's look back to 2019 and, and the years, you know, decades before that the economy was growing at, you know, a declining growth rate. So the economy was growing on average, but the, the rate of growth was declining. And the natural rate of economic growth, which the Fed puts out, and it, you can kind of back into it based on productivity and demographics, is somewhere between one and a half and 2%. And not surprisingly, the growth rate of the economy was 2%-ish in, uh, you know, leading up to the to the pandemic and, and look it goes up and down but it, it follows a trend pretty well and inflation follows that same trend for very similar reasons because it 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 describes inflation kind of helps describe economic activity supply and demand so then we had the pandemic and the economy crashed the the fed and government just threw a ton of money on on the economy uh they lowered interest rates significantly there was a ton of stimulus, monetary, fiscal, you name it, right? So you've had this boom, an economic boom that has come out of it. So the question as a bondholder, 
and again, not a trader and not someone that's buying treasury bills, but someone that's looking out five years and beyond, five years, 10 years, 30 years, the question you have to ask yourself is this time different? Is, is the trend from pre-2020 different going forward than it was? Will the economy, has the economy broken out of that negative, of that declining growth rate? So again, positive growth rate, but declining. And now are we looking at an economy that's going to be growing at three to 5%? And the answer is no. No, unless, you know, Martians land on Earth and start doing, you know, buying all our goods. The answer is no. We have more debt today than we had then then and it's unproductive debt it's government debt which actually leads to negative economic growth over the long run the demographic trends have only worsened that comes with time and that the same is true for the global economy so there's no reason to suspect that if you draw that trend line from 1980 to 2020 and continue it that that trend line is not going to persist and if anything, that trend line may have actually, the natural economic growth rate may have actually declined a little bit because of all the unproductive debt that was put on the books over the last few years. So, you know, when you're looking out over the life of one of these bonds, I think it's fair to say economic growth is going to be sub 2%. Inflation will be sub 2%, again, barring things that we can't project right now. And, you know, you can earn a yield over 4 or 5%. On a, on a risk-free bond, if you want to go into corporate bonds, you can earn a little bit more. It, it's a no-brainer. But it's a no-brainer where you have you, you can't look at the look at your bond position every day and say, woe is me. Why, why, is, why are interest rates going up? Why are they going down? Why are they going up and down every day? It's like the stock market. Mm. If you buy a, a deep value stock, it doesn't go up every day just because it's dirt cheap. But over time, Buying stocks really cheap has proven to be a very good investment. But again, it's, it's an investment going up and down and around the trend line. And I think it's just very important to keep that that declining growth, economic growth, lower inflation trend line in mind, because in my opinion, nothing, nothing on a very macro long term basis has changed over the last few years. Yeah. And I think it's important. You know, it's a, it's a really important point. I want to read to you something that was in Yahoo Finance this morning because uh, uh, headline for Yahoo Finance uh, article this morning was investors are betting it's 1998, not 2007. And that's very misleading. And, and let me just read to you what the, this, these, these two quick sentences are. The latest Bank of America Global Fund Manager survey published Wednesday revealed that it's been nearly 15 years, the last instance being November 2008, af just after Lehman Brothers fell, since investors were this convinced that the interest rates would be cut over the next 12 months. Here's the key line. Over the last four decades, that's the last 40 years, there have only been three instances in which the Fed cut rates without the economy falling into a recession, 2019, 1998, and 1995. Now, that's a true statement, but it's not really accurate. And let me, t and let me explain to you why. So let's go to 1995. Yes, the Fed hiked rates, <clears throat> and we didn't have a recession, but we had fairly strong economic growth back then. So again, as always, to get to a recession, you've got to have a big contraction in economic growth. And we had a lot of momentum in the economy in 1995 because we just came out of a recession in 1991. Um, but everything's going fine. But the Fed hikes rates. And we have the Asian contagion. We have long-term capital management. 
right? So we have to bail those things out. Those were a function of what was happening with higher interest rates. Um, and yes, in 1998, uh, the Fed did hike rates just a little bit. Um, and then you had a recession in 2000. So just because you didn't immediately have a recession didn't mean a recession didn't occur or there wasn't a crisis. 2019. So in 2019, the Fed is hiking rates and then immediately has to start cutting them in July. In September of 2019, they're having to bail out hedge funds and do reverse repo to a trillion dollar extreme. And then in 2020, you have the recession, right? And everybody says, well, you couldn't predict the recession in 2020 because we shut down the economy. That doesn't, that's irrelevant as to the why we shut down the economy and had a recession. What is important is, is that all the ingredients were in place to have the recession. In other words, had you had a more normal environment where the Fed wasn't already cutting rates to zero and having to bail out banks, see, that was all the kindling for the fire. What you needed was the match to create the recession. There's, you know, in theory, if the economy was doing fine and was strong enough and everything was happening and we said, hey, we got to, you know, we got to shut down the economy a bit, the recession wouldn't have been nearly as deep, right? So again, you know, everything was there. Yes, we couldn't predict shutting down the economy. But there's always the event, and that's and that what well, that's what we always say here on the show is it's it's the unexpected exogenous event, the thing that markets are never counting on, that create that recession and bear market. Nobody was counting on or expecting the economy to be shut down, but all the warning signs. We even wrote articles about this. All the warning signs for a recession were there. We just needed the catalyst for it, and that was the shutdown. But that's also the same thing in 1998. With long-term capital management, that was the trigger that kind of began the unwind, and then the Fed's still hiking rates, and then we have the dot-com crash. So, you know, it's always that case. It takes time. There's a lag effect. Sometimes that lag effect is very quick, but sometimes it takes a lot longer. Mike, you got 30 seconds. Last word. Yeah, 98's a great example because that was Greenspan's first big bank bailout or financial sector bailout, and ultimately the bailout itself goose the economy and goose the markets for another year and a half to avoid what probably would have been a recession in 98. Right. There you go. All right. Wraps up the show for the day. There Be sure go. you're by the website. Uh, get Mike's latest article. It's on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. And of course, send your questions, comments, emails. Always happy to help you out. And uh, we'll see you back here tomorrow. Richard Rosso, Danny Ratliff for Financial Friday. Financial Fitness Friday. Sorry, tomorrow. Uh, be sure to tune in and we'll see you back here on Monday. Have a great weekend.